This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. A reading of scripture from Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 2, verses 4 to 10 and verse 15. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth, their being created. At the time of Yahweh, God's making of earth and heaven, no bush of the field was yet on earth, no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For Yahweh God had not made it rain upon earth, and there was no human or Adam to till the soil or Adamah. But a surge would well up from the ground and water all the base of the soil. And Yahweh God formed the human of dust from the soil. He blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living being. Yahweh God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the human whom he had formed. Yahweh God caused to spring up from the soil every type of tree desirable to look at and good to eat, and the tree of life in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowing of good and bad. Now a river goes from Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four streamheads. Yahweh God took the human and set him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, life can be so busy. You're trying to get out the door on time. Maybe you're trying to help kids get out the door, depending on your stage of life or current setting. You're trying to get to the work site. You've got deadlines, projects to manage, perhaps, or you've got medical appointments to keep up. Uh, you've got maybe a yard to take care of or pets to manage, uh, and there are birthdays and anniversaries to remember, you're trying to pay the bills, all the things that are the stuff of life can be so busy, and no matter the stage of our life, right? If we're still in school or we're early career, mid-career, retired, wherever we are, like we live in a society that encourages us to be busy. And the next thing you know, six years have gone by, and where did the time go? And so we can get so bogged down in the minutiae of life's demands that we can miss the forest for the trees. And so every so often, it's good to take a step back and try, at least, to look at the bigger picture. Like, why are we here? What is our purpose? What does it all matter or mean? And when I'm in that kind of wondering, contemplative mood, I usually go outside. Right? There's something about walking in a, in a rolling field under the sky that gives you the space to breathe, to wonder, to exhale. Wondering, is, is there somewhere that you like to go when you're sort of in that frame of mind? You can just shout it out if there is a place. Lake Michigan. All right, yeah, always a good one. You stole everyone's. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
Excellent. Anyone else? The woods. The woods, yeah. Maybe a favorite spot in the woods, but any woods will do often, yes. Although it is November, so wear orange. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy as it sounds, to the workbench. Okay, yeah. There you go. A good, happy place where you can be at ease. Yeah. Awesome. Well, lately I've been walking out in the fields behind our house uh, in what we call the back 40. We've got kind of a field that stretches behind our yard and leads up to some woods. And as you go back there, it's sort of on a gentle rise. And once you're back there on the edge of the woods, you can look back and you're a little bit higher than our house and the backyard and the fields that are uh, across the street and a little higher than the road. And so it just gives you this different perspective to see things. And our backyard shed, which isn't tiny, kind of looks tiny when I'm way back there. And there's just a feeling that you get when you're in a place like that, where you feel a, a spaciousness, or you see things from a different point of view. And I'm not sure I can even put a name to that, but it's something you kind of feel in your body. You know what I'm saying? And I think when we're out in nature like this, right, when we see the expansiveness of the lake or... Uh, the beauty of the woods, or uh, a field that seems to not end, I think we tap into that deep knowing that we heard about in our words of integration and guidance. And as Crystal was reading that, wasn't there something in you that just said, yes, there is something to what he is naming there. I connect at what, with what he is saying. It's like we already know some of these deep truths. But we're inundated with other half-truths that bury this deep knowing. And we get lulled to sleep by the busyness of life. And that natural expansiveness in our hearts gets constricted a little. And we find ourselves led by fear instead of by love. And we close down instead of opening up. Well, our text today in Genesis is one of those texts, to me, that's a bit like taking a walk out in nature, because it opens us up if we let it. It reminds us of who we are, of where we come from, and of why we're here. Now, Genesis 1 and 2 are poetic origin stories that helped answer these questions to people of ancient times, right? Who are we, where do we come from, and why are we here? And those answers are needed now just as much as ever. And you'll notice that in our translation uh, of Genesis 2 there, which is by the Torah scholar Everett Fox, which I highly recommend, uh, especially if you're a Bible nerd like I am, does a great, great job of translating the uh, first five books uh, of the Bible. But you'll notice, uh, perhaps you notice, that he left two of the Hebrew words in there. At the time of Yahweh, God's making of earth and heaven, no bush of the field was yet on earth, no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for God had not made it rain upon earth, and there was no human or Adam to till the soil or Adamah. The word for human is simply Adam. We often assume that's his first name, Adam. Right? We've kind of made it that way. 
But Adam simply means human. And by the way, it doesn't even mean male. There's a different word in Hebrew for that. It simply means human being. And the word Eve, or the yeah, word or name Eve, or Hava, means living. Or sometimes rendered mother of the living. But really just at its essence means living. And so we see in these very words, right, a connection to the source. Right, that God made the Adam from the Adama. Right, even the language in this Hebrew poem speaks to us of our deep connection to the earth and all that is. We are of the soil. We come from the earth itself. I mean, let that sink in for just a minute. We come from the earth. I think that's part of that deep knowing that we know deep in our bones. But we've forgotten this truth. And as we look around at the world, what makes you think that maybe we've forgotten this truth at some level? The way we treat the earth. Okay, yeah, the way we treat the earth. Absolutely. There seems to be a disconnect there. And we could name probably any number of them. And that really, yeah, go ahead. Well, they're national parks. But we set them aside as something special and so instead of something integral. Great, great. Even spaces that we've designated as leaving in their natural state, we see that as unique and, and special because they are in a way, but but we kind of see them as off to the side and a bonus if you, you know, and, and certainly it's a deep privilege to be able to visit them and not everyone can, but we, yeah, we, we kind of, it's a nice thing and we, we are not as connected. Very good. And this leads to the second question, why are we here? My high school guidance counselor couldn't answer that one for me. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, you know. <laughs> but the text, I think, says it, at least in part, right? At least in part, why are we here? To work and to watch over the earth. To care for it. To live in harmony with it. But of course, this ancient purpose has to be grounded in the first truth. That we come from the earth. That we ourselves are a part of it, not separate from it. And I think we've kind of perverted this truth of caring for the earth by uh, focusing on maybe misreading uh, a verse from the chapter prior in Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 28, and you'll probably be uh, familiar with this, says, be fruitful, this is God speaking uh, to the first humans, which, by the way, there's two creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2, in case you're confused about that, because in Genesis 1, God creates the human beings in God's image, so Adam and Eve are already there, but then chapter 2 starts over with really a separate telling of the story from a different angle, um, but we'll set that aside for now. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so, so instead of working with the earth and caring for it, we've tried to subdue it and rule over it. And as we know, that's had devastating consequences, threatening our ability to even live on this planet, right? Due to climate change, ecological disruption, and so on. And so one, where do we come from? We come from the earth. Two, why are we here? To care for the earth. And the third question, who are we? can be answered, at least in part, by uh, verse 7 that we read earlier, which says, And Yahweh God formed uh, the human of dust from the soil. He blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living being. Who are we? We are sacred beings. We have the very breath of God within us. That ought to stun us and humble us. It's simple to read, right? Hard to really let that sink in. And we've forgotten, I think, in many ways, our divine origins. And I think we've forgotten that because we've chosen to focus on another part of this chapter and the one to follow. You heard me in the reading, right? Talk about the tree, of life, but also that other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad or good and evil. And so instead of a theology rooted in our divinity and grounded in original blessing, we created a theology of the quote-unquote fall, which roots our identity in brokenness and in original sin. And Walter Brueggemann, who I respect as much as any uh, biblical scholar, says that no text in the Bible has been more misunderstood or misread than Genesis 2 and 3 and focusing on simply eating a piece of fruit. And what happens, right, when we teach our children that they are sinful and broken instead of teaching them that they're sacred and whole? have devastating consequences in how we see ourselves and how we live into who we are. And not only, right, for ourselves and how we see ourselves, but for how we see others. The deep truth that we know in our bones is that all of life is holy. Not just the life of our family, or our race, or our group, or our nation. John Philip Newell, in his book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul, which is where our words of integration and guidance came from, he says, this is what we're living in the midst of today, a planet struggling to breathe, religious fundamentalisms that are fueling hatred and violence, and refugee families throughout... Oh, where's page number five? <laughs> throughout the world, refugee families throughout the world being denied sanctuary. 
These and so many more evidence of a tragic breaking apart of our interrelationship. Right? The failure of not remembering and seeing the sacred in each other. And then he tells the story. He says, many years ago I was giving a talk in Ottawa, in Canada. Though we'd welcome him to Ottawa County too. <clears throat> he says, I was giving a talk in Ottawa, Canada on some of these themes. And I began the presentation by using a phrase from the prologue to the Gospel of John. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. That's John 1, 9. And he says, I spoke of the way the Celtic tradition invites us to look for this light in one another and in everything that has been. And he says, attending the talk that evening was a young Mohawk elder who'd been invited to be there specifically to make observations at the end of my talk, his talk about uh, connections and resonances between Celtic and native wisdom. And Newell notes that by the time he wrapped up, um, the elder, this Mohawk elder, stood with tears in his eyes as he spoke. And here's what that Mohawk elder said. As I've been listening to these themes, I've been wondering where I would be tonight. I've been wondering where my people would be tonight. I'm wondering where we as a Western world would be tonight if the mission that came to us so many years ago had come looking for the light in us. I've read that and almost lost it. You can feel that pain, that wistfulness, that sorrow in those words. Newell tells of his own response. He says, these words spoken humbly by the Mohawk elder pierced my heart with a truth that I had never forgotten. Now, we cannot undo the tragic wrongs that have been done to the Native American people during the westward expansion of settlement across what is now the United States and Canada, where indigenous human life was seen as having no value and only as a hindrance in a quest for the land and its resources. So again, a disconnect from each other and a disconnect from the land. We cannot reverse the injustice, pain, and suffering that resulted from such horrendous greed and arrogance, but he says we can, however, be a part of new beginnings. We can open ourselves to a radical humility of heart, which is our true strength, and look with expectation for the sacred deep within the other, the other individual, the other religion, the other race or nation or sexual orientation or whatever you might name. And we can look with reverence to serve this sacredness in each other. To honor it, nurture it, and come into true relationship with it. Allowing it to reawaken in us the sacredness at the heart of our own being as well. Beautiful stuff. And so where do we come from? The earth itself. Why are we here to care for it, to live in harmony with it? And who are we? We are sacred. We are divine. We are holy. 
And these things have always been true. And it is never too late to take a long walk under a big sky. And remember. Amen. May it be so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.